You're listening to Seed of the Woman, a podcast dedicated to telling the grandest story of all and to exposing the mystery of 666. Randall Gilmore here. Throughout this podcast, I've been saying there's so much more to 666 than just a number that will identify the beast out of the sea someday when he rises to dominate the world. 666 also represents an entire system of beliefs, values, and practices tied to a corruption of nearly everything we read in the earliest chapters of Genesis. Meanwhile, these chapters showcase the amazing wisdom and power of God and they reveal mandates and commandments that God issued for humankind to live by both before and after Noah's flood. And they introduce God's plan for the seed of the woman to restore all things and save those who believe in Him. So it's time to do a deeper dive into these chapters and into their connections to the use of number in Scripture, especially the number 666. And that's going to take us deeper also into our understanding of the corruption that Satan inspired from the start, including his corruption of the constellations of the zodiac, and of numbers, and of what they represent. Now, before we get started, I have to explain something about the book of Genesis that far too many people overlook. And here it is. Moses wrote the book of Genesis thousands of years after creation. So thousands of years after the fall after Cain's murder of Abel, and after the flood and the Tower of Babel. To be more specific about the flood, a conservative approach shows the flood happening 1,656 years after God created the heavens and the earth. And if you keep going, you'll find an additional thousand years or so passing between the flood and what happened after the Exodus, when Moses began writing these things down. One of the reasons why this is so significant is because it reveals how much opportunity there was for Satan to grow and spread his counterstory prior to there being a written record of what actually happened. So by the time Moses wrote the book of Genesis, Satan's corruption, including his corruption of the number 666, was well entrenched everywhere in the world, but especially in Egypt. And keep in mind, Egypt's ancient myths and mystery religion can be traced back even further to Babylon, ultimately all the way back to Babel and the Tower. And Moses was very aware of this history when he wrote the book of Genesis. He had been raised in Pharaoh's house, where according to Acts 7.22, he was, quote, instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians. So Moses was very aware of these things. And he knew the threat they posed to the future of Israel as God's chosen people, not just because they had spent the last 400 years or so as slaves in Egypt, but also because Israel was about to encounter numerous other kingdoms in the land of Canaan, kingdoms that also embraced various forms of the corruption that began at Babel after the flood. All of this adds up to our needing to understand that what Moses wrote in the early chapters of Genesis he wrote to set the record straight. 
and to protect Israel from any involvement and collaboration with Satan's counter-story. So any references to the counter-story we find in what Moses wrote are not coincidences, including references that lead us to the number 666. Now you're going to understand more of what I mean by all of this as we begin taking a closer look at the references to the Zodiac that we find in Genesis. I'll get started with that right after the break. In the rest of this episode, I'm going to share more about Moses' references to the Zodiac in connection to the story of Noah, and then ultimately in connection to numerology, gematria, and the mystery of 666. Now, I want to be quick to point out, nothing I say in this episode of the podcast, or for that matter, in any other episode, should be construed as my embracing astrology or numerology. That's not me. I'm deeply committed to the scriptures and to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I'm also committed to sharing truth, even if it makes some feel uncomfortable when it doesn't fit into their theological system. And I also have to say, it's really difficult to know exactly where to start a discussion on references to the Zodiac and numerology in Scripture. And that's because, to me, it's all like a giant game of pickup sticks. All the sticks are touching one another, so when you start to move one, the others start to move also. Now that said, I think it's easiest to begin with the Zodiac and the role that the Zodiac plays in the early chapters of Genesis. One of the reasons why is because of direct and easily discernible ties to the number 666 as one of paganism's most revered symbols. So I'm going to start in Genesis chapters 6 through 9, the story of the flood, where we find indications that Noah and others also before him measured the length of a year using a zodiacal system. Now in the modern era, we keep track of years using what's called a solar year, which is comprised of 365. 2524 days. It's the amount of time required for the Earth to make a complete revolution around the Sun. And because of the fraction, as everyone knows, using a calendar of solar years requires us to periodically insert an extra day in what we call leap years. A second system for measuring the length of a year is the loony solar year, which tracks both the movement of the Earth around the Sun and the monthly phases of the Moon. The Hebrew calendar, for example, is based on a loony solar year. Because of the fractions involved in this case, an entire month is periodically inserted into the calendar. Finally, a third system is the zodiacal year. A year in this system consists of just 360 days, divided into 12 months of 30 days each, tracking the length of time it takes for the sun to move through each of the 12 signs of the zodiac. By the way, it turns out there are many more constellations in the zodiac besides the 12. Some say the zodiac includes nearly 100 constellations. And the reason for the 12 is because they are the ones that lie along the ecliptic orbit of the sun. That's the path in the sky that the sun appears to follow as the earth rotates on its axis each day. So for each month in a zodiacal year, for 30 days, the sun rises on the ecliptic in one of the 12 constellations. Now, if you'd like a visual of how this works, I created a short video that I'll include a link to in the notes for this episode. Meanwhile, you should know that measuring years using the zodiacal system also confronts us with fractions. Because, 
Even though the sun moves through each of the 12 constellations of the zodiac on its annual circuit through the heavens, the constellations also revolve in the opposite way by about 20 minutes each year. Estimates are that it takes between 25,820 and 25,900 years before the sun will return to the exact same position relative to the earth and the stars at its start. That amount of time is referred to as the precession of the eclipses, or the great year. Now, as I said earlier, Noah and also others before him used the zodiacal system to measure the length of a year. And we know this because of the detailed timeline that Moses inserted into the Genesis flood account. Don't forget, Moses inserted things like this on purpose. He wasn't just looking for filler. He had a reason for including this timeline into his written account of the flood. So I want you to notice that the timeline is there, and it's very detailed. In fact, there are no less than 13 references to it. So for example, God told Noah and the others to start loading the ark seven days before the flood began. That's in Genesis 7, 1 through 4, and also verse 10. And then Noah was 600 years old when the flood waters came on the earth. That's in verse 6 of chapter 7. And the fountains of the deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, starting on the 17th day of the second month. That's in chapter 7, verse 11. The rain fell for 40 days and 40 nights, starting with the day Noah and his family went into the ark. That's chapter 7, verses 12 through 13. And then flooding continued for an additional 40 days. That's chapter 7 and verse 17. Floodwaters prevailed on the earth for a total of 150 days, verse 24 of chapter 7. The waters began to abate by the end of the 150 days, with the ark coming to rest on the mountains of Ararat on the 17th day of the seventh month. That's chapter 8, and verses 1 through 4. The waters continued to abate until the 10th month, with the tops of the mountains showing from the first day of the 10th month. That's chapter 8 and verse 5. Forty days later, Noah opened the window and sent out a raven, followed by a dove, chapter 8 and verses 6 through 9. Then Noah waited for seven days and sent out the dove again. The dove came back with a freshly plucked olive leaf, indicating to Noah that the waters had subsided, chapter 8 and verses 10 through 11. Noah waited seven more days sent out the dove once again, but it did not return, chapter 8, in verse 12. And in Noah's 601st year, on the first day of the first month, the waters dried up. Noah removed the covering of the ark and saw the ground was dry, chapter 8, in verse 13. And then finally, on the 27th day of the second month, the earth had dried out, and God told Noah and his family to leave the ark, which they did, chapter 8 verses 14 through 19. By the way, I'll also put this timeline into a PDF, and I'll include it in a link in the notes for this episode. But I want to make sure that you understand now why scholars teach that the timeline Moses included in the flood story is based on a zodiacal year. So, in Genesis 7:11, Moses writes that the flood began on the 17th day of the second month. Then, in Genesis 8:4, he reveals that the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat five months later, on the 17th day of the seventh month. Then in Genesis 8.3, he adds that those five months lasted for 150 days, or 30 days for each month. 
And that's exactly what we would expect from a zodiacal calendar. Now, one of the reasons why it's so important for us to recognize Moses' emphasis on a zodiacal calendar as he tells the story of Noah and the flood is because of how it turns the sun and the sun's circuit through the constellations of the zodiac into a symbol of Noah's journey through the waters of the flood. We know from the New Testament that Noah experienced a kind of death and burial and resurrection as he journeyed through the waters of the flood for 370 days. But the timeline Moses includes also tells a story of the death, burial, and resurrection of the sun. And it's the corruption of this symbolism that ultimately leads to Satan's use of the number 666. So Moses makes sure that we know that the fountains of the deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened starting on the 17th day of the second month. But which month is the second month? Well, the answer is, it's the month Cheshvan, which corresponds roughly to our October and early November. This means that the flood began at a time soon after the autumnal equinox, which occurs during the first month of the year. And in the northern hemisphere where Noah was located, the flood starting on the 17th day of the second month meant that the sun had already begun its daily descent to a kind of burial at the winter solstice, which takes place in the fourth month of the year. But after the winter solstice, the sun slowly but surely begins to rise again as it follows its circuit through the constellations to the spring equinox, which takes place annually during the seventh month of the year, the month Nisan, which also is the month when the floodwaters abated and the ark came to rest on Mount Ararat. Meanwhile, the sun reaches its highest point in the sky at the summer solstice, which would have taken place near the time when Moses indicates that the top of the mountains were seen, according to Genesis 8.5, the first day of the tenth month. Finally, by the time the first month rolls back around the month Tishri, which corresponds roughly to our September-October, and when the sun once again begins to approach the time of the autumnal equinox, Moses writes that the waters of the flood dried from off the earth. But Noah and his family, according to Moses, remained on the ark for an additional 57 days until the 27th day of the second month, once again the month Cheshvan. Interestingly enough, Noah and his family were on the ark for a total of 370 days, a number that has ties mathematically to both the solar year and to the great year that I mentioned earlier. So even a casual review of the timeline of the flood story that Moses included in Genesis reveals that Noah journeys through the waters of the flood with his family in the ark in a way that invokes the journey of the sun on its annual circuit through the constellations of the zodiac. And don't forget, by the time Moses wrote this down, there were already pervasive corruptions of this symbolism. Still, unless you're willing to believe that Moses' timeline is just a coincidence, or that Moses unwittingly played into Satan's hands and into the hands of thousands of years of paganism, the meaning is clear. Noah's journey through the waters of the flood is intended to symbolize a kind of death, burial, and resurrection, which itself is also symbolized by the sun and its annual journey through the constellations of the zodiac. Now, two episodes from now, I'm going to show you how Noah and his journey through the waters of the flood also serve as a prophetic reenactment of the story of Jesus, the seed of the woman, from Jesus' first coming on through to his own death 
and burial and resurrection, and ultimately to his return. And I'll show you also ties to the sun as a symbol of both stories, the story of Noah and also the Bible's telling of the seed of the woman. But for now, I want to be very clear. Many years before Moses wrote the story of Noah and the flood into the book of Genesis, Satan saw in the historical experience of Noah a need to corrupt people's understanding of what happened. And he saw in the timeline of what happened as it unfolded in real time and in the sun and in its journey through the constellations of the Zodiac as a symbol of Noah and his journey through the waters of the flood, Satan saw an opportunity to undermine and discredit the story of the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. And so he inspired the pagans on his side to corrupt both Noah's story and its ties to the sun, which is exactly what pagans did. Similar to what's been done with the rainbow in more recent times. Only back then, pagans turned Noah into the sun god, while crafting symbol after symbol of their corruptions of his story. Take, for example, the lunette, or crescent moon, which was corrupted to symbolize the ark, cradling a star, a star which stood for the sun, symbolizing their version of Noah, the great sun god. This is symbolism, by the way, that endures to this very day. But going back in history, virtually every form of paganism you can name features myths and mysteries and symbolism, including zodiacal symbolism, tie back to this Satan-inspired corruption of Noah's story. And this is where numerology enters in, and gematria, and the unholy emphasis on 666. More next time on Seed of the Woman.